Hello and welcome to Planet Nola Pod. You are listening. I'm Mary Jacobs, the host. Today I am joined by Mary Henderson Uloho, the owner, proprietor, CEO, head woman in charge at Sister Hearts Thrift Store, located in the greater New Orleans area, right outside the city, and I guess Araby, Chalmette, technically. Araby. Technically Araby, um, an incredible thrift store on a mission. If you don't know this, I have a small business where I style people primarily in secondhand clothing. And so I met Miriam when we, when I was thrifting. I was out thrifting, just sourcing for clients. And she came right up to me in that store and chatted me up about some project or some idea. And I was like, oh, this is my people. Like you immediately were like, oh, I'll have an idea for this thing. And I was like, oh, I like that idea. Cause I'm a real idea person too. And then we just cut up for like, 35 minutes in that store mm -hmm. and I remember I posted it on the Mary's Rack Instagram and everyone loved you I probably got like 50 DMs from people being like I love this woman <laughs> because we were cutting up we had so much fun it was very obvious that we're like you know same wavelength kind of people do you know what I mean and um, yeah ever since then we've kept in touch and yes. I'll go over there you'll come over here we check in on each other yes do you want to tell us a little bit about sister hearts well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me. Aww. I really appreciate that. It's very humbling because I, I really admire what you do as a, as a stylist. It's just the most phenomenal thing for me. And um, I'm just really grateful that you would uh, allow me to, to have this platform. And Sister Hearts is a place for formerly incarcerated to come and get transitional work. But it's not, just <clears throat> it's not just transitional work. It's a place where they can come to reverse the trauma of incarceration. So all of us that work at Sister Hearts, we've all been to prison. I did almost 13 years, and half of which was spent in solitary confinement. So there was a lot of trauma that is associated and related to incarceration. And so Sister Heart is a safe space. It's nurturing environment to help us to reverse that trauma. And then most importantly, to be able to identify with the fact that we're even having trauma. It's the only place in the country that I'm aware of to help people to reverse prison trauma. It's like living, working experience while also like it's a very holistic approach. Yes. Because it's, you can't just put someone back in the world. Absolutely. And expect them to not be informed by their experiences in prison. Like, your decisions in your mind probably in so many situations go back to that state of being. And, like, I can't imagine unlearning that. Also, solitary confinement. Like, you coming out of so many years in solitary confinement, I feel like, especially people with that shared experience, that is such a distinct and, I mean, such a small percentage of people have experienced what you've experienced. And so there's not enough people in the world who even know how to help or what needs to be done. That's true, Mary. So That's you're probably, true. I mean, you're probably learning as you're teaching. I am. But that makes you the best teacher because you're the most informed teacher and student and like, everything you could possibly oh my god I did not realize that that is so wild what what's what's been like 
Like, what has been the biggest focus? When you meet somebody, what's the first thing you try to teach them? I imagine it's not hanging up clothes. Like, I imagine it's no. something bigger. Like, no. you're, in the, you're in the world now. What's, what's, the, what's the first step for you? The first question I ask uh, is, are you institutionalized? <clears throat> like, in their mind still? Yes. And many times, they will be in complete denial. You spent 15, 20, 30 years in prison, but you're not institutionalized. How did you manage that? Yeah. And so first, let's identify with the problem. Mm -hmm. Once you identify with the problem, then I'll ask them questions like, are you territorial? Mm -hmm. Do you still wake up for count the same time that we went through count? Did you have visits at in prison they say yes did you have to go through uh, strip searches bend over and cough it's like yes were you ever in solitary confinement yes so I start asking questions mm -hmm. when you immediately meet a person do you not immediately feel defensive yes or no yeah, yeah I do you're institutionalized mm. but we've never put a label on it and I'm, on, I'm only talking about people that have been to prison. There's never been a label put on prison trauma for us to even know what we're suffering from. Mm -hmm. But where the problem comes in, and to show you the extent of prison trauma, when people come outside, why do you think they can't survive out here? Why do you think people keep going back to prison? Why do you think they get out year after year and come out here and continue doing crimes to go back to prison? Mm -hmm. Because they have been programmed, institutionalized to return. Yeah. I can't even begin to tell you how many times the guards told me, oh, you'll be back. I'm going to keep the lights on for you. What, kind, you, what does that do for anyone? It, it causes us to come back. I guess it's good for business for it's them. Good. It's very good for business. Oh my God. That it's is like, good. that's like growing up being told, you know, if you had a very, someone in your family is like, oh, you're, you're very, um, you're very selfish. You're a selfish person. And you're told that your whole life. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this narrative about yourself where you're like, I'm selfish. I just am selfish. My actions are selfish. I am now a selfish person. And it becomes mm -hmm. true because there are people around you that are pointing at you and saying, you are this thing. And so how hard that is to break, like that is the most psychological trauma to be told something and just be like, well, I guess this is true about myself. That's, I mean, I understand that this is how this happens, but it's like, what, what dehumanization is that? That is so messed up. It's called dehumanization, demoralization, and desensitizing. Yeah. Those are the three components to keep people in control enslaved mm. in prison because you have to remember when you go to prison mm. that is a form of slavery when the during the 1800s when it was a pipeline it, it, but when when slavery was abolished a lot of the farmers they couldn't uh, farm their land they needed the slaves but they were all free so how could they reinvent slavery the only way they could reinvent slavery was through imprisonment. So now they, de they develop laws that if you didn't have a place to stay, you're a vagrant. 
Prison. Prison. Yeah. So now they were able to build the prison population back up. But what, what did we do? We farmed the land. We did all the work the slaves did under the control of the government. So that's why imprisonment has become a trillion dollar business even till today. And people think that that part's over. That part is not no. over. The nation no. uses prison labor for so much. Well, I can tell you that. They yeah. have, uh, they have uh, uh, houses where they, they kill the slaughterhouses. We have thousands and thousands of land for farming. Mm -hmm. We have uh, textiles. Yeah, I've seen some documentaries on the textile. We work. have uh, furniture repair. The, almost anything that society needs, we're doing that stuff in prison. We're not getting paid for it. Well, don't they also pay like pennies? Like some people do get paid, but it's I like got two pennies an hour. Two pennies an hour. That's like almost worse than nothing. That is like a laugh. Yeah, at the end of the week, I may have gotten a dollar twenty-five. So, what kind of work did you do? Well, that was really interesting because the majority of my time I was in solitary confinement, right. so I didn't do very much of anything. But because of my age and my health, I did um, a job in housekeeping. Mm -hmm. Now, let me let me you have to. I need you to visualize what this housekeeping looks like because I had so many physical restraints. I would have to sit at a table or sit in a chair, take a rag, and all day for eight hours, I have to take that rag. My hand had to constantly move. And I just could wipe the same spot, but my hand had to constantly move. What? That was my job. <clears throat> that was called housekeeping. What cows are you keeping? That is ridiculous. But that was my job. Yeah, and that's just another way of control, too. Because you, you know it's crazy. You know what you're doing is completely crazy. Yes, it is. Yeah. But if I didn't do it, I was going to get a report. Right. Which means I was going to lose privileges, mm -hmm. which mean also that after you get so many, I'm going to the hole again mm. for 90 days at a stretch. Yeah. And when you get in, in, the, in solitary, you get another report. That's an additional 90 days. I've spent as much as 18 months in solitary confinement just being in solitary confinement and so the process of unlearning that i feel like is your life yes, work like i is. feel like you know think about people this is a very bad comparison but think about people that when they're younger they're bullied they're bullied about one thing or another and they carry that bullying from middle school all the way into their adulthood someone tells them they got fat legs their whole life they believe they have fat legs. It's like this is years of subversive, literal torture. And it's like the unlearning of that, putting people back into society and being like, well, you're free now. And that's what you're, you're saying is that you're not free. No. The freedom is up here. The freedom yes. is breaking the trauma, breaking the yes. habit of prison. Yes. yes. And that is some of the, I mean, I can't, that is such hard, hard work. And we need more people to be doing the work, to understand the work, to be empathetic to the work, to be giving to the work. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like, like I said, you're the best teacher because you're the student as well. Yes. And so Sister Hearts, I feel like the, the mission is to not just give people work. Not at all. It's not, we don't even call it work. Right. It's a program. Mm -hmm. I tell them this is not a job, so don't expect 
to get rich here, make a lot of money, because it's not about the money. Mm -hmm. Because what you're learning is priceless. Mm -hmm. You're learning how to be to reestablish yourself as a human being mm -hmm. first. Yeah. You get to recreate your own identity, an identity that you didn't even have before you went to prison because you brought trauma from childhood. You brought childhood trauma into your criminal activities, right. which led you to prison. Then you got traumatized on top of that trauma. So you're now a lifelong resident. You're working on becoming a lifelong resident of incarceration yeah, and that's get, why they have life mind. even in your in your mind it's so real when you just said that they're working on like building and finding their like identity or their personality it's like those are things that are afforded understanding yourself is really just afforded to the privileged like to know yourself and to like be comfortable in knowing yourself is something that is for people who are secure safe sheltered Absolutely. Pretty much that's it. Like, that's kind of it, you know? Absolutely. And so it, it's radical thinking to be trying to get people to just get into their bodies. But you know, Mary, what you just said is so powerful. I would really like for you to break that down just a little bit because you say it and you skip over it. But for somebody from this side of the fence, looking at what you just said, I need you to break that down mm -hmm. because... Your identity, our identity, have been stripped away from ancestors in, in, as an African-American. Right. But being privileged, because I, sometimes I see little, little children, little Europeans, they can jump around, they can fall out, they can have tantrums. And, and I'm like, this would never yeah. be allowed in an African-American community. Right. No. You, we get whoopings, right. which is still the beating. Mm -hmm. that, that derived from slavery. Of course. And we carry it on, and we carry it on. Well, it's like the thing I said, oh, I've been told I'm selfish my whole life. I must be selfish. It's generational. It's like, yes. it's like you believe what is true that has been told to you. Yes. So it's like when you're only believing all the things around you, you can't hear your own truth. You just can't. Let me give you an example. When I was, when I was a kid, I was growing up, right? I was I was very chocolate. I was caramel colored, as chocolate as I could be, and I had always had little short teeth, and I always had a gap in my teeth, mm -hmm. and I always had white eyes. My eyes were always bright white. You, you were know. a cute ass kid, is what you're telling me. Well, <laughs> now that I'm older, I think I was. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was. But you you were. This is a very cute I, kid you I, just described. I was always called ugly. Oh, I was I was always told that I was ugly. I was always told how. Uh, my teeth was like little rat teeth so I never wanted to smile I did not smile <laughs> and they said that my eyes I looked like a, like a ghost because all you could see was the white in my eyes and my hair I've always had long hair I wish I could go back and like beat them up for you <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've always had the uh, the long hair and and it was always thick, so they called me uh, African buckshots, you know, hair. And all the things that I now look at and say to myself, no, wait a minute. I was never really ugly. And it's like, okay, so you're black. I'm, I'm an African-American. I'm, I'm supposed to be this color. So, But everything that they said that I was, it wasn't until I turned 16 and I met someone that validated me as a human and said, no, 
you are the most beautiful. Oh, smile for me. You know, just, just, you know, come here, let me look in your eyes. They validated me so much that I saw how had I stayed in that environment as a child, mm -hmm. what I could have been like. And that's why even to today, I hold my head up when I went to prison. Mm -hmm. Because I had received that validation since the age of 16, nobody could tear me down. Yeah. And they could not do it. Yeah. You know, you say you received the validation, but it's not, when somebody tells you something, like uh, gives you a compliment, most of that compliment has to be you. You have to decide to believe it. Do you know what I mean? Now I do. Yeah, but you did then because you said yes. that that validation gave yes. you the fuel, but that yes. was you. That wasn't yes. the validation. Okay. It, that was the fuel. You always knew inside that you were beautiful. And someone else told you, and you were like, yes, I am. Thank you. Finally, someone else is saying the thing. Do you know what I mean? And so it's always been you. But Mary, I had to first, I didn't look in the mirror, so no, I wasn't seeing it like you that. You weren't seeing it. But no. when you heard it, you knew the truth. When I heard it, I went to the mirror. Yeah. When I heard it, I went to the mirror. And when I heard it, I started looking in the mirror. And then when I started looking in the mirror, and the, and the person that was in the mirror started looking back at me, and I never will forget one day, they smiled at me. And I was like, oh, wow. That's really a beautiful smile. Yeah. And then I put some Vaseline on my lips, <laughs> and my lips are shiny. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then I started wearing lipstick. Yeah. And so I started recreating my own identity in my own womanness. Yeah. Okay, so self-identity and, like, seeing yourself in the mirror and accepting, like, oh, maybe what I've been told my whole life is not true, then you have a little bit of understanding of yourself. You have a little bit of like, oh, I'm in there. I'm here. I'm pretty. I'm me. I'm. You're kind of starting to ground into yourself. Yes. And then you go to prison, and does that work get undone, or do you feel like you still hold on to that? That work gets completely undone. Yeah. It gets so undone because now you don't have time to focus on that because you, you're kept in a six-by-nine cage like an animal. And when you look in the mirror, you definitely don't want to look in the mirror because the mirror is, is like, it's like this metal stuff. And when you look at yourself, your face is distorted. Yeah. It's big. It's ugly. You, you know, and you don't want to look at yourself, right? Yeah. I had been out of prison almost seven years before I put a mirror in my bedroom. Oof. I could not look at myself. And I didn't even realize that my trauma was that intense until I was driving Lyft and Uber and, and there was a neurosurgeon got in the car, he was from California, and we got to talking. And I was explaining to him about the prison trauma and he was explaining some things back to me. He said, what I want you to do tomorrow is when you get up, as soon as you get up, look into the mirror. And then he told me what to do. And I said, look into the mirror. I said, but I don't have a mirror in my bedroom. He said, you don't have a mirror in your bedroom? Every woman has a mirror in her bedroom. And right at that very moment, I just kind of broke down and cried. Because I realized that I had not had a mirror in my room since I got out of prison. Yeah, you, you hadn't even looked at yourself. I hadn't even looked at myself. Mm. And that was seven years. I just put a out. mirror in my room in 2019. Jeez. 
Jeez, and that was seven years from your release. Is that what you were saying? Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, how can you begin the work of of seeing yourself as a whole person? What I do now is I'm able to use the store. Mm-hmm. I'm able to use the store in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. For example, when now I'm talking about the participants, right? So the way that I get them to look at themselves, because I know from in, the inside out. So it's like, how do I duplicate what I'm going through, what I'm feeling? How do I duplicate this? And so what I do with them is I take their pictures. Oh, you do. You take a lot of pictures in the store. I do their pictures. And then I get them to participate. And then I show them their pictures. Then I get them to validate how beautiful the picture is. And so I'm changing the mindset without them even realizing. That's so subversive right there. That's the opposite work that those guards did. That is the opposite work. Yes, and then when they organize areas, we take pictures of it, mm-hmm. I blast it, I put it on social media. When customers come in, I'm like, look at the work they did, look at how beautiful the story is. And it's, it's so therapeutic, but they don't realize until we have our classes that they're actually reversing that trauma. Yeah. You're like doing the work of a therapist, a social worker, a boss, a leader, a, a Sherpa. You're doing the yes. work of so many people for these people. And do you feel like the the work you've done has helped you grow from your own experience Mary, as well? it has. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes I, I, I sit back and I, I just think to myself, I'm like, you know, if, if I were to close my eyes today and didn't wake up t- for tomorrow, I would be like, this world don't owe me anything. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I am not only living in my purpose, but I have fulfilled so much of my life's mission. I'm going to cry because I just had this conversation this week with Kristen. Really? With my partner, yeah, because, so do you know my partner and I have a business together. We're, in, mm-hmm. we're about to go in year six. I'm sorry not to change the <laughs> subject, but what you just said is so true. It's like, yeah. sometimes it's really hard, just day to day. I'm like, we're, we're incredibly lucky. We've got a beautiful life, and we've we, yes. you've been so privileged along the way. Yes. But, you know, opening a business is hard, yes. and it involves a lot of self-sacrifice, and we've got to see a lot of our friends pass us up and own homes and have kids. And, like, you know, that's I'm about the age where that's pretty normal. And, like, I mean, we just sat down the other day, and I was like, you know, if we were gone tomorrow, we have left enough of such a beautiful, positive impact that like my life was worth living like yes. even without the house and the kids like yes. i i feel so deeply fulfilled by the work that i've done yes. that i'm doing yes. and this yes is the feeling that like i want to give to other people yes. and that you want to give to other people this is how it's this is how it's phrased now i say it and i'm sure you're going to identify okay. i want to to i want to leave a legacy while i'm still alive Yes. You have left a legacy while you're still alive. You're able to see the fruits of your labor while you're still alive. Yeah. Because you can utilize me, for example. When you introduce, you've introduced so much into my life. And sometimes I have to, you know, catch myself because I want to just reach out and be like, Mary, Mary. And I'm like, (laughs) Mary, you can't do that. But... You know, something as simple as 
showing that you care has been one of the greatest levels of decarceration you could ever imagine. Now, when if anyone looking on and seeing this video and they say, well, how can I help? Showing people that you care. People don't care how much you know, how much you got. They don't even care where you're going. But when they, they know that you care about them as a human being, it changes their whole life and perspectives in life. Now, I want to be a better businesswoman. I want to do better in the business. I want to understand it better. I want, because now I feel like I have a mentor that cares about me, my success. Me? Yeah, I'm talking about her. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. Aww. And it just makes me, you know, it makes me just want to, to thrive that much more. And I was looking at some ladies from, from Atlanta, and they have like this little click where they do live sales and they oh, do them together. Yeah, You've been yeah, seeing yeah, that? Yeah. I see stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, You're like, Mary, let's do a live sale. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, Mary, you know, we got to do that because we got unity in Louisiana too. Oh, we do. I'm we like, do. you know, we got unity in Louisiana. And, 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 you know, and then I want my customers to know that they can get a personal shopper and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, definitely. I'm like, you know, we want to do that. So it's a, it's a really beautiful feeling to have uh, someone. In your life that you can call a sister heart. Do you know what a sister heart is? No, tell me what a sister heart is. A sister heart. You have a best friend. Mm -hmm. Okay. If someone were to tell you not to love that best friend, mm -hmm. that would be like taking a piece of your heart out of your chest. Yeah. You possible. would cease to exist. Yeah, I cannot do that. Well, that's what a sister heart is. A sister heart is a woman that you love so much that if someone tells you not to love her, it would be like taking a piece of your heart out of your chest. You would cease to exist. So we're sister hearts. So we're not, you know, you can't say, well, we're just sisters or that's my friend. No, we're sister hearts. We are 150% sister, sister hearts. hearts. Because we do nothing to hurt the other. No, and you know, my whole mantra is there is not, like, People, I think, live in a scarcity mindset, which yes. might also be a prison thing. I, it I'm, is. Like, very much. It and I, I do, as the youngest, and, like, with a brother that's, like, very competitive, I grew up very much, like, feeling like there wasn't enough of anything. Like, just scarcity all of the time. And um, took that into adulthood. And I took that into, you know, adolescence and up. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized, like, if I'm going to live in scarcity mindset, then that means everything will always be scarce. Mm -hmm. There will always be scarcity because that's just the way it works. You know, it self per perpetuates itself. There's never going to be enough, you know. And so I just like decided one day I was like, I am there's enough. I have enough. Um, and I actually my partner and I work on this a lot together. It's like, when is when do we have enough time together? When do we have enough time off? And I just decided that there's always enough. I decided that I always have enough money. And when I, <coughs> when I stopped thinking about money as scarce, I just became happier. That's right. When I stopped thinking about love for my partner as scarce, I became more secure in my relationship. And I'm coming back to, to, to what we were just talking about, I promise. But for me, when I met you and when I work with anyone, I don't believe that there's scarcity in what we do. So say you have a thrift store and I kind of have a thrift store, but not really, right? But we're kind of in the same industry. And I think a lot of people might see, like, I think another person in my position may not say to you, oh, you know, I sell clothes. Because it's risky for me to put myself in that position and be like, oh, I sell clothes. I'm in competition with you. 
But I don't believe that there's a risk. I believe that there's only opportunity for growth. <coughs> and I think when I had a scarcity mindset, I wouldn't have been so warm and welcoming when I meet people. But now that I've just like gotten rid of that part of my brain or tried to, obviously I still feel it sometimes, it allows me to just open my heart up to people when I meet them. And I feel like that with us meeting was a real testament to that work of getting rid of the scarcity. And the, the decarceration work you do is a real testament to how you meet people as well. So I think when we both met doing the work that we do, like I'm working on being someone who's like open, giving, there's always enough. And you're working on being a whole person who's seen and heard and vulnerable with people. When we met, it was like, oh, we're doing the same thing. Yes. We're very much the same person in, in yeah. a totally weird roundabout way because we're obviously so different. But I think that at our cores, we fundamentally believe in and want the same stuff. The, the thing with scarcity is, and I understand it as you're explaining it to mm -hmm. me, but I guess I have to analyze it a little differently yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on my end because I, I've, I mean, I've, I have, I'm I'm rich. Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just so rich, and not so much with houses and the land and money. It's like I'm so wealthy inside. I could just think I want something, and it just it just comes to me. So it's like you better not think you want too much because you you're overflowing right about now. But that's the the thing of it is is that when you shared with me, when you open up, mm -hmm. you open up a vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Because of the human nature that's inside of me, that's also there in you, we are very compassionate. Mm -hmm. We help people grow. This is not the type of nature where it's like, oh, I want to put my foot on your neck. I, wanna, mm -hmm. I want you to be oppressed. I don't want you to have as much mm -hmm. as me. That is selfish. Yeah, totally. You can't get to the level that we're going to get in success with that mindset it just doesn't happen that way in order to become a millionaire you have to help other people climb also so if the day ever come when you fall your fall is buffered yeah so if you never help anyone climb and grow that's so true your fall is going to always be buffered. you can't yes. fail when you live like this absolutely there's no such thing as failing that's that is 150 percent how yeah. i feel because when you say for example like our business, I feel, complements each other so beautifully because, first of all, now I have this mental thing where I want to make sure that Mary makes money. <laughs> I do. And I have the resources that I have is enormous. It's like I can do this stuff in my sleep. Whereas Mary, on the other end, she could help me to open up a world of social, mm -hmm. on a social level, that may have been closed for me because I'm mm -hmm. not that much of a social butterfly. Right. Well, Mary is. Whereas, if Mary wants to do shopping, Mary can call me and say, hey, Mary, I got something special, blah, 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 I need to this. And so Mary's got a door that's open mm -hmm. that's not privileged for everybody else. Yeah, for sure. Just not. Yeah. Because, you know, I have a loft now yeah. since we met. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a loft. <laughs> and inside that loft, I'm, I'm really doing a lot of things now. Yeah. So, the bottom line is that uh, we can really combine and, and make a lot of things yeah. happen. And I think having shoppers is just the best thing since mom's apple pie. Mm -hmm. I really, really do, Mary, because 
For example, like this little dress that I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. This is something I would have never worn. Yeah. I would have never worn it. You look so cute. Also, we did not coordinate our outfits today yeah. on purpose, but it did work as magic, as it should, because yes. we're very much the same person. <laughs> yes, in black and white. It's so wonderful. <laughs> and I just love it because I, I was going to do big polka dots, and you have the, the, the zebra, zebra size. I was like, and I'm going to be a little more subtle and vintage because yeah. we specialize in vintage we and are vintage ladies yes. <laughs> well we have to take a little break for an ad so we'll be right back y'all stay tuned and you should go check on youtube if you're not watching on youtube to see our very cute outfits This week's episode of Planet NOLA is brought to you by Vitality Community Fitness, a group training facility located in Metairie, Louisiana. Vitality prioritizes their members with accessible workouts for anybody, any gender, any size, any ability. I'm a little biased because I do co-own this business, and I got to say we've got one of the best communities around, really great coaches, really good vibes. So if you're interested in trying out our gym, Go to our website, vitalitycommunityfitness.com, click the contact form, and you get three free classes in a week. So come check us out. And we're back to Planet NOLA Pod. I'm Mary, I'm with Miriam, and we are talking about New Orleans, a Sister Hearts, Araby thrift store. We're talking about decarceration. We're talking about, wow, a lot of like heady trauma work and caring about ourselves and caring about others and I have I want to like dig deeper into you know the dream world like if we ran the world if you ran the world tomorrow and somebody was like I really believe in what you're doing I believe in the work of decarceration specifically for our city because I feel like you said Louisiana has the we have the like is it the largest prison population Louisiana is the incarceration capital of the world wow that's the world. what a record we have here yes. in Louisiana what a thing to be proud of you know yes. like it's so dark so if if in a dream world in our specifically in our city what what is the thing that we could build that can be some sort of level work like to help people so that we break that pattern of incarceration like I don't know, what is the thing, if someone gave you $10 million tomorrow, what do you think needs to be built? It could be several things, it could be one idea. What, what, in your dream world, what's the solution? The solution, and then, Mary, I'm so glad you asked that question because that's something I've already started working on. I may not see it in my lifetime, but I do believe in my heart that it will, it will come to fruition. I have a building, bought and paid for, already up. And what, if someone were to give me $10 million today, the first thing I would do would be to invest in renovating that building mm-hmm. so that when people come home from prison, mm-hmm. they would have, first of all, a place for transitional work so they could start earning income immediately where they don't have to go out robbing people or stealing or selling drugs. That's number one. The second thing I would do would be to get another housing complex so that they would have a place to stay. So they don't have to be homeless. They would have to have a place to stay. I would probably buy a few vans so that we could have transportation to get people back and forth to their appointments, get them scheduled for medical, dental, eyes, social security, food stamps, whatever they needs was on a social level. 
And then we would start putting them in the program so that they could now start reversing that trauma. They need to understand that just because they committed a crime is not the end of the world. Just because they went to prison, their life is not over. Right. That they can actually become assets in their community. And becoming an asset in the community is really a beautiful thing because that's what Sister Heart has proven. We are owned by formerly incarcerated, operated by formerly incarcerated, developed, and we are one of the strongest formerly incarcerated organizations in the city. Mm -hmm. And that has taken place within the past, I've been home now seven years, eight years. I've been home now in, in eight years. But what we would do is I would take decarceration inside the prison. That's where it has to start. Before they even get out of prison, they want to start reversing that trauma to give them a higher rate of success once they're released. Right. Because Mary, they're being incarcerated for years and years and years, beaten and tortured and right. misused and abused, and then they get out with, with $10. Yeah, no, nowhere to stay. Nowhere to stay. No job. No, and then no one wants to hire us. We can't. Did you know we can't get bank accounts? We can't get credit cards. We can't not live in public housing. We can't get cards on credit. We we can't. It's so much we can't get. We can't right. do. But you expect us to succeed. Yeah. We can't. Yeah. It, the system is built so that people return. It is built for us to return. Yeah. The only way that you're going to reduce the, the incarceration, imprisonment population is by reducing those recidivism numbers. Right. And the only way that you're going to start reducing them is by helping these people to reverse the trauma that you've put on them in the first place. Exactly. And the, 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 the structure is to get people back. They build it. It is not built. It's like you said, it is a pipeline from slavery to prison. Yes. And it has not changed. That is why, even though our nation has a pretty even split of black and white people, but the prison population, wow, why is it so predominantly black? There you Gee, go. I wonder why. There you because go. it was structurally built to be that way. And that's every right. system has been supporting it this whole time. That's right. And that's why we've got to have more conversations like this. People need to be. They need to understand the prison industrial complex and how it is a capitalistic for-profit system that exploits primarily black and brown individuals. Say that now. Like, I mean, it is, you know, obviously I know the work you do and I don't think you know how passionate I am about the work you do, which is one of the main reasons that like when I met you, I was like, oh, I'm on board. I'm on board with the work you're doing because this has been something that I have been passionate about and like lost I feel lost when it comes to it you know because it feels so normal for the world to just it call is. the police when someone walks down the street they don't yes. recognize and it's we live people that aren't in prison live imprisoned they think that there is an authority that decides right and wrong and that is it that is it and it's 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 so subversive and ingrained in us and people don't realize it's white supremacy it is white supremacy That's it. built into us and it is our job, it is every white person's job to see it, understand it, to name it, to understand the history. Everyone should understand the history of slavery in this country and understand the history of the prison system in this country. Because I believe that if we teach this to people from a very young age, they will understand and have the tools to not repeat it. That's you right. Know? And that's why 
states like Texas don't want critical race theory in their schools because they love the prison industrial complex there, you know? Like, these conservative states thrive with large prison populations. They thrive making sure that they have control of their black and brown populations in their states. And the way they do that is prison. Absolutely. And they know it. So the work you're doing is the work of our city and our state. Like, I mean, obviously, like you said, Louisiana, number one. But it is the work of our nation that is built on the backs of black and brown people. Quite literally on the backs. That's right. And I, I, I can only do so much, but it's like I'm going to do as much as I can. But it's like if everyone did as much as they could, if everyone educated themselves, understood what was going on in our nation, understood that they can play a, a role, even if it's shopping at Sister Hearts once a month, That's right. they can do something. They can make a dollar donation. Exactly. You know, if you have a million people make one dollar donation a month, do you know, we? well, we don't really get grants and, and federal funds anyway. Right. Jack Dorsey gave us a wonderful donation last year. But minus that, we're just surviving. But Mary, you're saying so much that needs to be said. Yeah. We need to start normalizing the conversation around incarceration. We need to normalize it because... How many people have just walked up to a person and in a conversation said, oh, by the way, have you ever been to prison? Never. You don't do that. No, yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. That's not a thing. And it's also people say that they want to unlearn their own white supremacy, but they don't want to look at the uncomfortableness of what that is, okay. which is prison. It's, it's, it's literally keeping black and brown people in prison in your brain it's the racism in your brain okay it's all the white supremacy in your brain that makes you be like well prison's normal this is what happens when you're bad you're bad you go to prison that is white supremacy in your brain like that we need to unlearn these systems because they're keeping us down they're keeping you down they're keeping me down they're keeping our whole city down and it's a bunch of white men in power that want it that way (laughs) Well, like, now, Mary, it always has been, and white women, but, but, but Mary, women. You, you, you might be on to something because, <laughs> like, I'm trying to reverse the, the, the trauma of incarceration. You may need to be trying to reverse that because I never thought about it until you just well, said Well, that's it. not your job to think of that. It's yeah. the white people's job to yeah. think about their own racism and their own white yeah. supremacy. And, I mean, I think that not even a small fraction of people are doing that work. It's a two-way street. And so, for me, being a support to you, talking to you, having you on this podcast is a way to give more platform to that. Because, obviously, that's not my side of it. My side of it is work on my own shit and and be as vocal as I can and do as much work as I personally can. But it's like only you can speak to the the decarceration process, you know? I got that part, but uh, (laughs) it's this white supremacy bullshit. I... (laughs) I'm like, you know, I didn't even realize. That's not even something I even really ever thought about. I'm like. Well, you do think about it. You just don't realize it because you just said it. You said it was slavery and then they had to, they needed more slaves. And the only way they could have slaves is by making everything illegal that black people did. And they made them slaves again. So, you know, that's white supremacy. You you named it. You know, you got the words for it. You understand it. I'm just yelling about it. Okay, well, (laughs) now it makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got all the pieces, for sure. Wow. But this has been such a good conversation. (laughs) We've we've really covered a lot of ground. How do you feel? I feel absolutely wonderful. I just, let's talk about, let's talk about how can a a regular, average Joe Blow, Sally Jane, what can they do to help our passion and our cause and our mission? Just a regular person. We, of course, you know, 
They can shop sisterhearts.org at any time. They can shop Sister Hearts Thrift Store. They can always call on Mary's Rack. Of course, Mary's Rack is the best <laughs> stylist in the state, of course, I'm telling you. Because even though, you know what I mean, you see some of this, I, I have to be at my best styling uh uh, attire here because I represent a professional stylist <laughs> um, so we can do those things but other than that what are some of the other things that you think uh, people can do besides to normalize the conversation about it well I think on like it's well everything I just said on on my end it's uh, white people really need to do the work of working on their internalized stuff they need to like look in the mirror and ask themselves what do they believe to be true and why and ask themselves what they're comfortable with. You know, are you comfortable with the way the prison system is in our nation? And if you're not, then you need to be a vocal advocate against it. And you need to take steps and you need to go vote when there are things on the ballot that it, that represent formerly incarcerated people. You need to like have conversations with people that have different experiences than you. And you need to listen. I feel like most people, not anybody, everyone is a bad listener for the most part. People need to learn how to listen. Because when you can really open your ears and hearts to conversations like we just had, you learn and you grow and you get better and smarter. And you understand the nuance of people and the complexities of people. And then you understand why putting somebody in a box for seven years with no contact is the act of dehumanization. And they are a human. When you talk to someone, you're, you are a complex individual who deserves to be seen and heard. And, and shutting you away solves nothing. It solves for nothing. It doesn't make you better, doesn't make me better, doesn't make the society better. It does nothing except pad the pockets of the people that get paid to put you in that room. It That's all it does. That it's not is, a room, it's a cage. The cage, the cage, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, so I just think we all need to be doing the work that, that you're doing and that I'm trying to do. I think we yes. all need to be taking steps towards yes. decarceration for formerly incarcerated individuals and working on the white supremacy that lives in my mind and all of the white people's minds in our nation, and especially yes. our state, our, especially yes. our state. Man, let me ask you a question. Yeah. You know people go to prison, they give them life imprisonment, right? Yes. They give them 30, 40 years. Yeah. Well, Mary, but... Prison is supposed to be a place for rehabilitation, right? It's never been that. <laughs> okay, but let's just say for this, the, the piece of saying it, it's for rehabilitation. But how can you know if I've been rehabilitated if I'm never, ever going to get an opportunity to show the world that I've been rehabilitated? We, yeah, it, it how is. Can I, how can you know? When will you know? You give me 50 years, but what if I'm rehabilitated in 20? It is not about justice, and we know that. We know that it has nothing to do with justice. Nothing, because justice would be rehabilitation. It would be the person learning, growing, changing, and coming out new. That would be the justice of the situation. That would be decarceration. That would be decarceration. They don't want decarceration, yeah. Mary. You got to know that because decarceration is going to reduce the prison population. And so oh, I know. we're I know. not, you know, I'm on this pioneering path, but I know that there's the obstacles. Once it hits, we're going to need people behind it because yeah. if you google what is decarceration they say decarceration is removing people from mental institutions and prison and like releasing them just put them in the world yeah, yeah put them in the world no it's not yeah. when we're talking about decarceration we're talking about reversing the trauma of incarceration hell yeah and i think we on that we have to end this yes but i think that was the perfect uh thesis of everything we just said yes. everything we've talked about today before we go I always ask my guests the same last question, and I'm sorry, this is going to catch you off guard, 
But if I could interview one person for this, who would you recommend? Is there anybody that you think should talk on here? I like to interview people who are living in the greater New Orleans area doing cool things or inspiring things or fun things or just interesting people living in the greater New Orleans area. Is there anybody that comes to your mind first when I say that to you? The one person that has impacted my life the most in the past year and that I have truly been able to see decarceration through their eyes would be Anthony. Oh, really? Okay, your partner? Yes. All right, all right. Well, that's who we got to get on here at some point. Anthony, are you ready? He's here right now, so yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll quiz him afterwards. We won't put him on the spot now. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're the best. Thank you guys so much for listening to Planet Nola Pod. I'm Mary. This has been me and Mary. I'm talking about Sister Hearts Thrift Store. Check them out. Follow us on socials. Like, subscribe, all that stuff. Bye.